Hi, right, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Big Bang Wrestling. I'm your host, Marcus. And I'm Nick. And today we're joined by another ECW original, a hardcore legend in his own right, joined by C.W. Anderson today. C.W., how are you today? I mean, I'm fantastic. I hope you guys are. Thank you so much for having me, by the way. Uh, thank, uh, thank you, thank you for, for joining us. Uh, yeah, definitely. Oh, thank you for welcome. agreeing to do this. You wrestled in the original ECW when that was still rolling in the 90s, correct? Right. Yeah, I was one of the what? blessed ones to be able to call an ECW original. <laughs> what made you uh, get your start in professional? What made you want to become a professional wrestler? I was looking something to do on the weekend. Um, most of my story is, uh, I literally, cause I, you know, I was a, I was a baseball prodigy growing up. Uh, mm-hmm. didn't, didn't care about wrestling, hated wrestling actually. Really? Uh, and it took my, yeah, I didn't like it at oh. all. It took my, it took my little brother, Kevin convinced me to sit down with him one day, uh, to watch an NWA match, NWA. Um, <laughs> and the match is actually on YouTube. It was July 5th of 1985. I think I was 14 years old. And it was the Rock and Roll Express versus Ivan Koloff and Crusher Khrushchev. And Ooh. he sat down with me, or he got me to sit down. And he said, look, I'll get you. He said, watch it with me just one time because, you know, he wanted that brother connection. <laughs> right. And yeah. I was the older brother, and I was a little too cool. But uh, well, at least I thought I was. <laughs> I said, all right, I'll sit down and watch this wrestling with you. And he said, if you don't like it, you don't have to watch it anymore. Just watch this one match. And it just so happened that was the match that came on. It was a match where Ivan got rolled up by – uh, Ricky Morton and the Rock and Roll mm-hmm. Express won the belts from the Russians. And we were jumping around like, you know, like little kids. <laughs> we were all trapped. We were all sucked <laughs> into it and we were jumping around. And I was hooked, but never thought I would be a wrestler because you know, baseball was my first love. Right. And when that kind of blew up in my face, you know, getting drafted out of high school and that getting turned down and blowing my arm out to where I couldn't throw as hard as I used to. Uh, when that thing started falling apart, I was kind of looking at something to do, ran into a friend of mine who was doing the independent wrestling. I saw Mike McDonald in McDonald's one day, actually, he got me to go to a show with him. That was right down the road from where I live and where I saw him at. And I, he got me in the ring and we rolled around and I just kind of got hooked. Now I did it like a, a few months while I was in high school mm-hmm. at this guy, this guy that was an independent wrestler. He lived, uh, about 20 minutes from here where I live at now. And he had a ring in his backyard and he had a bunch of the high school kids and he was renting a place from uh, a lady who had a guy that was my age. And we all just came over and hung out and he was just showing the moves and stuff like that. So I did it for a few months there, but my baseball coach made me stop because he didn't want me to get hurt and screw up my baseball career. And it wasn't until, uh, you know, I saw the guy at McDonald's again that I got back into it. But once I got back into it, I was hooked, man. I caught that bug and you couldn't get me out of the ring. <laughs> I know that's kind of like I trained Ooh, with a guy at, here in Appomattox, Appomattox, Virginia. I trained mm-hmm. with him. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Bruiser Graham or not. He wrestled a no, lot with Jimmy Valiant. I'm not. Uh, I've been okay. training with him. We we set up the ring in his front yard and we train out there. <laughs> I know a lot of guys that do that, man. Hey, there's nothing wrong with it whatsoever uh, to get your training in. You, you get it where you can. Yeah, definitely. 
definitely a lot to like try to schedule so, uh, work schedules and things like that too. The the Anderson name, and you know, you said you you grew up watching you know NWA. When you did get into wrestling, it was NWA. Now, mm-hmm. did you did you ever think that you would end up being an Anderson? You know, no, I, mean, I had no clue. When I when I was asked to be given the name, mm-hmm. uh, I was fresh out of college and I had a goatee and I had a little bit of hair at the time. I looked more like <laughs> I literally looked like Big Boss Man more than, <laughs> than Anderson. That was my nickname in college from when I played baseball was Boss Man because right. I looked so much like him. Okay. Um, but it wasn't until I wrestled my first match and the guy, the two guys that were running the Anderson gimmick saw me and one of the guys, uh, w- there was a tag team. It was Pat Anderson and Rocky Anderson, mm-hmm. Rocky Mills and Pat Connors. And Rocky was getting ready to retire because Rocky was, I think Rocky was mage now or a little bit younger, mm-hmm. which is, you know, in his forties. Cause I'm, I'm 50 and Pat was in his mid thirties and he was looking at a tag team partner to run up and down the East coast with, and I was 23 at the time so when they give me the anderson you know want to know if i would be like to be an anderson and mm-hmm. i accepted because i knew arm was a really good worker i knew the andersons were really good wrestlers um so i was like yeah it was it give me that gimmick because before that i didn't know what the hell i was gonna do so once i came up and you know started i grew my beard out and mm-hmm. i come up well i didn't really come up with a name my old baseball coach come up with my name because i come up with Ike and Cal, because they wanted a three-letter Anderson name, because it was Pat and then Ole and Arn. Right. So I was, right. trying, I was trying to come up with a three-letter name, and for two weeks, man, I come up with Ike and Cal. That's all I could come up with. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, my old baseball coach, who got in, who was in the managing in wrestling, um, his name is Randy Driver. I looked at him one day. I was sitting there talking to him. I said, "Mr. Randy, I can't come up with anything. You know, be call myself an Anderson." He said, "I just use your initials and call you CW." So. They just get stuck in the room with that. <laughs> so, uh, speak, speaking of Oli, did you did you ever get the chance to meet Oli? <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> I take it that wasn't a good experience. Uh, no, you know, High Spots actually filmed that because I was I was in Japan uh, at the time, and High Spots wanted to do a thing with me and Oli. Uh, because I wanted to get the name from Oli, the blessing from Oli. Right. I had really had never got it from Arn, never really met Arn at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing Arn knew about me at the time from what I was told is Paul Heyman got in touch with Arn one day and asked him, could he give me the enforcer moniker? Could I be called the enforcer since we were doing the Dangerous Alliance? Right. And Arn's right. response was, absolutely. I hope he has better, better success with it than I did, which I can't even imagine possible. Uh, but my only that night I dealing with Oli, it was around the time Oli had that crappy book of his that came out and right. he sat at the table, gimmick table. He didn't want to talk to anybody. It was just buy his book. He didn't want to interact with anybody. The guys from high spots wanted him to get in the ring and cut a promo with me and do, give me the blessing. And mm-hmm. he didn't, he didn't want to do that. He didn't want to do anything. So oh, wow. I had to, after my match, I think I wrestled Chris Hammock in mm-hmm. that match. I actually had to get out of the ring, go to the table and, you know, basically tell him, I, I told him, I said, I'm going to take the name. You could only take to here and bring it up to here. So you can be a man and stand up and shake my hand. Or it was something along those lines. Right. And he stood up, shook my hand, give me the thumbs up. And then they wanted me to cut a promo on him in the back. Cause he was just a, he was just a miserable old man that day. Oh, man. He was just hateful to everybody. So that was my only dealings with Oli. Have that's the only thing. And uh, you know, when you it's your first impression of somebody sticks with you a long time, and that's right. been my impression. 
arm was a completely different story, but right. Ole was miserable. Now, I've always heard that Arn was always a pretty good one to work with, pretty pleasant backstage and real helpful for the most part. Yeah, Arn's amazing. I've, I dealt with him several times at WWE when I did that Disney fight ECW that WWE brought back. And <laughs> it was it was a, uh, you know, Arn was so, you know, I remember Arn telling me one time in the locker room, us Anderson's got to stick together. And I know, I don't think he remembers that. You know, I remember every interaction I had with Arn. And it wasn't until like last year when he was doing his podcast and they asked him about me. Right. And he put me over and said that, you know, that I deserve to be in Anderson because of my work. Um, and I, you know, his thing was, I'm just as much an Anderson as he is. And which, you know, it always got funny is why people said, you're not a real Anderson. And all the fans would always get on me and say, you're not a real Anderson. Well, no shit, none of us are jackass. So that's been my only response to them. Yeah, well, I mean, te technically, only one of them was actually an Anderson. Gene, yeah, yeah, Gene, yeah. the one that gave us the blessing. Right. You know, Gene gave Oli and Arn the blessing. Gene mm -hmm. gave the blessing to Rocky and mm -hmm. Pat to see the do fit as they see. Um, and you know, the, my only thing was I couldn't job it out. I couldn't disrespect it. Right. You know, I had to do. You know, I had to be an Anderson. Mm -hmm. And I've had yeah. a couple guys, and I don't remember if Carl was one that messaged me a long time ago or not. I don't remember, but I had three or four guys message me from my time at ECW on, want me to give them the blessing to be an Anderson, and it's right. not mine to give. You know, if if anybody is, it's got to be Arn. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, to my, then that's why I said Arn's got to give you that blessing. Right. But I saw Arn. Uh, no, November made a year when we do the Wrestlecade in uh winston salem and he was there signing autographs and i saw him and he saw me and come up you know shook his hand and just told him it was good to see him and i, I just said on you know again thank you and it means a lot to me that you give me the blessing on your podcast and he says cw look he says we're making some money out of being an anderson he said you deserve to be an anderson you're a hell of a worker he said and i can say nothing but good things about you being an anderson so there's no higher compliment to me oh. coming from Arn. Oh, for sure. That's, that's a hell of a blessing coming from a man yeah. like that. It, you know, so, so the way I look at it, the rest of the fans that don't believe that you can piss off because Arn gives me his blessing. So that's, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Uh, I, I feel the same way about it. If Arn says it, I mean, who's, who's going to argue with him? Exactly. Well, he says goes. That's what I would say. Anyways. <laughs> exactly. It don't yeah. matter what Oli thinks. Cause he's just a grumpy old man anyway. So, <laughs> And everybody you talk to that says they've had an encounter with Oli or they meet Oli, that's what he's a grumpy old man. And yep. I hope when I get, you know, older, you know, 60s and 70s that I'm not that grumpy old person. Uh, I hope not anyway. As long as, as long as I'm still here, I'm good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. So when you first you know, start, how was the training? Like, what was your training like getting into the wrestling business from, you know, transitioning from baseball? Nobody really trained me. You know, I, uh, about 25, 30 minutes from here, there, there was a school in, called, in Smithfield, and there was a little school there, but nobody really trained me. I got in the ring with other guys, and they showed me little things, and I just do, do some of the stuff I saw on TV and get in the ring and do that. So I never really formally got – I never formally got trained until mm -hmm. I got to the power plant in uh, 98. A lot of stuff I did learn was sitting in the locker room with, you know, Wahoo McDaniel before he passed mm -hmm. away, Jimmy Valiant, Ivan Koloff, Ricky and Robert, C and Barbarian, those guys just sitting down and listening to them. 
Uh, you know, it's the one thing that this generation of wrestlers, when they're in the locker room, they don't know how to do is act in a locker room. I want my generation when they come through was sit still and be quiet. This generation wants to be the loudest ones in the locker room so they can be seen. But I would sit there, even when I was at ECW, it was the same way. I would sit there, be quiet, listen, and listen to those guys talk. Or I would get next to Ivan Koloff or Ricky and just say, hey, can you teach me psychology? I want to, you know, what's your thoughts on psychology? And Mm -hmm. that's when they would light up. But it's not, hey, can you show me how to do this move? It's can you show me and teach me psychology? Because that's professional wrestling. Oh, that's like you just said, that's the most important thing. No, I was just saying a guy like Ricky Morton, because his ring psychology was just so far above everybody else, even in that era that had such great, you know, guys with that kind of psychology. And he was still that far above. I mean, you know, that's one of the best guys you could you know, sit and learn from. You know, I even I teach this in my seminar when I teach seminars and I tell people and stuff. And even Ricky tells a story. Um, one of my seminars, I said, if you want to watch a good baby face and how to emulate it, watch Ricky Morton. There's Ricky right. Morton and there's Ricky Steamboat. You watch those two Rickies and you're mm-hmm. going to learn how to be a good baby face. But when I first got started, one of my first matches was against uh, Ricky and Robert as a first as a name tag team. And if you hear that, that's my. That's my Rottweiler being trying to be a big bag dog. <laughs> She's psychotic. So <laughs> she sees my parents down the hill. So anyway, um, I was sitting there and um, we were going over the match. And I, I was telling Ricky, you know, I want to do this move. I want this move. I want to do the leg drop off the top rope because I'm a mark for Bobby Eaton. I want to do a spine buster <laughs> and a punch and all these crazy moves. And Ricky said, CW, first of all, just calm down. He said, look, we're going to go out there. <laughs> he said, we're going to go out there. He says, I'm going to work your little finger. I'm going to grab your little finger, and I'm going to work it. And I promise you, I am going to get over more than you going out there and doing all them crazy moves. Now, on the outside, I'm respectful. Okay, okay Ricky, whatever you say. On the inside, I'm like, yeah, he don't. No, nah, screw it. I'm going to get all these moves in, and these people are going to go right. crazy. Right. This well, guy don't know anything. Yeah. He don't know anything. <laughs> well, it turned out. <laughs> As you can guess, Ricky was right. He worked my little <laughs> finger. I sold it. He did his baby face stuff, and he got over more than when I tried to do any of that crazy stuff. Um, oh. And it was it was one of my first lessons to just shut up and just listen and learn. Right. But, you know, it's like um, I did that. To, I, I saw Dr. Tom Pritchard telling that to a kid one day at a seminar, and the kid wanted to keep interrupting him and tell him why he was right instead of just, shutting up so and uh you know it, it's interesting you know you talked about you want to do all these spots all these different things and um a lot of a lot of modern wrestling that's pretty much what these guys do they just go do all these spots you know and, ha- and there's really nobody like a ricky morton to sit them down and lead them that way really you know well you know it's it's funny you do have those guys out there um but Nobody wants to listen. And, I, and I'll tell you like this, uh, for anybody who watches college basketball knows the great Roy Williams, who I'm a huge Carolina fan, mm-hmm. retired yesterday from college basketball. And his, ter- his thing was he just didn't feel like he had his finger on the button anymore. Well, right. I got a few friends that are on the inside at Chapel Hill, and mm-hmm. they said the reason he retired is because when he tried to teach this generation of basketball players how to play, they didn't want to listen. Right. He called he called plays and they want to do it their way because they know better than he does. Mm-hmm. So that he just figured he, he just can't teach anymore because they don't want to listen. So that's the equivalent. Now, those guys today, 
If you try to teach them, they don't want to listen because they already know it all. And they've been there and they've done that in their mind. Um, I've had that problem with this generation of wrestlers today. They don't know their spot on the show. They don't know that the first match is only supposed to do this. There's a set time. And when you try to tell these guys this, they blow you off and go and do it anyway. So what's the point of wasting your breath? Right. I I feel Ricky's the same way. You go out there and try to teach, you know, you watch the TV show, the guys on wrestling today. I like, I tried to watch AEW today. I can't. (laughs) There's no selling. It's all moves. I watched, I watched Christian and Frankie Gazarian wrestle. And I was, you know, I love Frankie and I love Christian. Um, Mm -hmm. They were, I I love their match because those two still know how to go. They can do it. I just watched their match. I think it was yesterday. Now I'm finally getting, I'm getting caught up with it now. And they had the best match I saw the whole night. Yeah, easily. In a while. Um, And that's the thing, man. There's, there's too many. It's like you were saying, Nick, there's too many moves. There's not enough selling. And Mm. you have to realize the fan, the casual fan can't keep up with it. You have to slow it down and let it, what I call letting it marinate. Mm. So the fans can draw it in wrestling. Professional wrestling is storytelling. We tell stories. It's, it still works. I, I tell this on all the podcasts I do. If you go on, Google, on YouTube and watch the few George South and I had from 2019 till the pandemic hit, uh, if you type in my name, AML Wrestling, it's a, it's a thumbnail of George South, and they call mm-hmm. it the second greatest story ever told. That's because George South and I did not one move out of the 80s, Every spot in that match, those matches was called in the ring. We didn't work out nothing in the back. And we had people invested in telling – we were told them a story. The promoter right. told us that he's only cried once in professional wrestling. That's the night Shawn Michaels superkicked Ric Flair. Yeah. In our match, one match, he cried twice because of the oh, story wow. we were telling. Yeah, I would definitely have That's, to check that yeah. out. Cause- you do. It's the, sec- it's the second match. There's four matches. There's mm-hmm. – the first match is uh, myself and my now my fiance Brittany Marie, and we fight mm-hmm. George. And when George is the champ, uh, the second right. match, my my best friend Steve Carino comes and is my second that night. Um, I break my rib in that match, but that's the match I'm telling you about. Fans were messaging us all week and said they were crying. They had chills because they said it was like watching a Rocky movie. The story oh, we wow. were telling. Yeah, the third match is at Wrestlecade, um, and then the fourth match is at a. Um, brutal I quit match between George and I. And, and George was another one of those classic, you know, heels. This guy's from back in the day, you know, that was a guy you used to, you know, he was another one I always hear about is just because all he had to do was talk and he could he still, get whatever George he still got it. George has still got it. I, I knew George was an old school, you know, of course, an old school wrestler. I knew he knew how to work. I didn't know how good George was until I got in the ring with them in singles matches and just listened. You know, right. one of the, the, one of the uh, bookers, who's a good friend of mine, Brian Hawks, for AML and for WrestleCade, he was sitting in the back during the second match, and everybody was watching on the monitor. He goes, what's different in this match? And nobody, could, nobody could answer him. He said, when's the last time you've seen CW wrestle and not call a match? George called everything. I just sat there. I just listened. He called it, and I did it. And – George put together four masterpieces, in my opinion, and there's something to watch. If you want to watch how to tell a story, you want to watch how to get fans involved and not do a lot of crazy flips. And I think the craziest thing I did was a monkey flip. (laughs) (laughs) 
So, uh, and you know, the I Quit match is brutal in its own right with a lot of some weapons and you know stuff like that. But that's what's missing from today's wrestling is storytelling, yeah. in my opinion. That's awesome. It was like, you no, know, like you were just saying about AEW. You know, some of their matches are good in my opinion, but it's just more of a spot fest, especially with certain ones. And I know Nick mm-hmm. will agree with like the Young Bucks. You know, definitely being one. You know. None of them really sell a super kick anymore. Like you know, Jim Ross was saying at one time, too. Yeah, he caught a lot of heat for saying it's nothing but crazy spots and dives and no selling moves that worked that people would sell 20 years ago. No. And, and you know, that's the thing they get mad about because they can't be proven when Jim Ross and, you know, another one, Jim Cornette, when he talks about yeah. it, you can't prove him wrong because he's exactly right. Guys are getting, you know, uh, Canadian destroyed off a ladder through a yeah. table, and a minute later they're up doing right. something else or kicking out of these moves. And, yes, wrestling has evolved. Everything evolves. And I take nothing away from those guys because they're an amazing athletes, mm-hmm. all of them. Oh, Most, a lot of the crap they do, I, I can't do, not one bit. But you have to still be able to tell a story. And right. everybody says this about everything on TV. If it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's not a freaking chicken. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So they can't be proven wrong because it's the truth. And mm-hmm. it, it is what it is. Uh, and people say you have to evolve. Yes, you can evolve, but still yeah. tell a freaking story. When they say less is more and you can get less out of more. Yeah. Um, it, they, they don't understand that concept. In my opinion, the best match that AEW ever did was from the first event that they had was the Cody and Dustin Rhodes match. Yep. Yeah, Cody, and, Cody and Dustin had an amazing match. And I've wrestled, I wrestled Dustin a hundred times, mm-hmm. and I have some amazing chemistry with Dustin. Dustin is a hell of a wrestler. And yeah. uh, I can tell you, yeah, they had an, a fantastic match, and that was the best match AEW had put on, in, in my opinion, with those guys. And what I love about that match is it was it was still modern, but while still being based in the in the um, what's always worked. Yes, it still works. If you implement it, it's still you can do modern stuff, mm-hmm. but you just have to imp- implement the, the, what got you there. Yep. And it'll still work. And I feel like they did that perfectly. <clears throat> yes. So. When you first got to WCW, right, or went to the power plant, how did that mm-hmm. experience go? Like, what was that like being there with all them guys? The three days of hell I went through at the power plant was <laughs> – I tell people this. If you told me I had to go through those three days again with Sarge teaching it and we'll give you a million dollars a year, nah, I'm okay. I'll work at McDonald's. What? I'm good. <laughs> like, what was it like there? Like – what did they have? Uh, you okay. Here was, was our normal day. The first day you started out, there's 30 guys. You're mm-hmm. all standing around. You don't know what the hell to expect. About 8.45, Sarge comes in, throws his bag, starts cussing, screaming at everybody to get in a circle, grab these five-gallon buckets. Um, and this is after you've done like a 15-minute stretch to get you ready. You start squatting. You have the guys that has been through the tryout and that's in the school surrounding you. And you're mm-hmm. squatting. Every time you squat, your ass has to touch that bucket and your hands are out straight. And everybody's counting. If somebody don't count. Your ass don't touch that bucket. You start over. And oh, then it goes from there. They drops you down to your face and you do push-ups. You get up on your head. You do neck bridges. 
forwards. You lay on your back. You do neck bridges backwards. Um, you get back up. And it's that repetitive process over and over and over and over again. Uh, then he'll get you. Then he'll get you in the ring, uh, and you're hit the ropes. You just run the ropes. There was three rings, so you run the ropes. You do a front front flip. You jump out. You go around. Mind you, I'm the only guy in that thirty that has ever wrestled before. So those guys right. hitting the ropes were getting their ass handed to them. Because right. you saw it again, you have everybody screaming at you, everybody hustling, and if you're standing on the outside waiting for your turn, you're jogging in place. Then you go outside for an hour and you pair up in four. You win sprint. You win sprint. Uh, and then you do backwards sprints, side sprints, karaoke's, back and forth. If you're the last person in that group, uh, you have to do 50 squats and be back in your group ready to go. Oh, wow. By that, uh, that's to about 3 4 o'clock in the afternoon with a 20 yeah. minute lunch break. Jeez. That's it. And it's nonstop. There's no wow. breaks, there's nothing. And you come back on Tuesday and you do it all over again. But by the end of the day on uh, you come back on Thursday, I'm sorry, because you started on Wednesday. By the end of the day, Wednesday, the 30 we had ended with six. Holy and crap. Tuesday, then Tuesday came around or Friday, Thursday came around and that six dropped down to four. And Friday we finished with four. And I was, of course, one of the four. There was a couple of times I was going to quit. And my buddy that was, had been through it, his name was uh, Curtis White. He wrestled as Toad. Uh, he did mm -hmm. a little bit at the end of WCW with uh, the PG-13 against the Young Dragons. They called him Frog. Uh, okay. He, he was he was there along with the others, and he kept throwing me back in. There was a couple times I got out and said, I'm done. I'm quitting. He stopped me and pushed me back in. Sarge knew that I was Toad because uh, he knew I was Lodi's buddy. I trained Lodi. So. Yeah. Sarge was a little harder on me. There was one time I was going to quit and he grabbed me by my collar, put me in the middle of the circle with everybody uh, squatting and he got me on my back and Lodi told me what was going to happen. And he said, he's going to make me kick my legs and arms and say, I'm a dying cockroach. And he says, if you ever say that, that's your ass. So he was, Sarge was making me do it. He was like, say, I'm a dying cockroach. And I was like, no, he said, say, I'm a dying cockroach. I said, kiss my ass, Sarge. So <laughs> he got me back. He got me back up and threw me back in line. And, uh, and you know, Toad was watching him and like Sarge give me that letter of appreciation nod. And when mm -hmm. he looked at Toad, Toad kind of grinned and he figured out that they had smartened me up and he lit into our ass for that. So everybody had to pay for me being smart enough about the dying cockroach thing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so mm -hmm. by, the, by the end of the day, Friday, I think Friday was kind of a half a day. You, they stopped you at one o'clock mm -hmm. and you're laying on your back. And, they, and I, the, the best words I ever heard is congratulations. You've made it. Um, <laughs> so that, that afternoon, Lodi had just flown back in. So he drove us home mm -hmm. back in North Carolina. And I was actually falling asleep, passing out because I was so exhausted. I was past my mental point. And then I was waking up screaming because I, my dreams were Sarge screaming in my face. <laughs> yeah. so, but, one, but once I got done with that, I came back, I paid my intuition and Sarge hugged me, welcomed me back. And it was a t completely different experience. Uh, Sarge put me up under his wing and was teaching me a bunch of stuff. Uh, got to train under Pez Watley and Sarge would okay. give me tasks to do on the weekend you know, to improve my wrestling. Mm. And then it got to a point where he trusted so much that one, there was a few days he threw me in the second ring and I was training, helping train guys. 
like the Natural Born Thriller, oh, wow. Elix Skipper, Lash LaRue, Mike Sanders. I was helping train those guys, you know, oh, while they wow. were learning. Um, yeah, it was that was that was a good experience. And then uh, JJ uh, J. Dillon and Paul Orndorff, who were agents, came to the power plant one day and wanted to see what kind of talent they had. And they put us in the ring and had us work a match. And they, they said mine and toes match was the best one. Everybody was going crazy for it because we were doing some ECW stuff. And that's the day JJ Dillon and Paul Orndorff told me I didn't really have what it take to make it at WCW. I didn't have the look, my skills was okay, but they were more of a marketing company. They didn't have, I didn't think I could make it in wrestling. So that was a kind of a crushing blow to hear that. No, it seems like, you know, like you just said about WCW. That was my power plant experience. <laughs> It almost reminded me of Paris Island a little bit, <laughs> but the way I said how intense. You know, I you know what there was uh there was there was there was two guys that finished in the class with me. There was four of us, and two mm -hmm. of them were former Marines that went went through Paris Island. They said Paris Island was a cakewalk compared to what we had to go through. Oh wow! Yeah, that's, <laughs> that sounds well. And uh, we, you know, you, you're talking about Sarge having you in, in a headlock. I. I vaguely remember remember seeing him on TV as a kid, and that was a pretty pretty large guy. Yeah. Sarge is short, but he's stout. Yeah, he, he's like a little fire plug. Yeah, he, fire hydrant man. He's just like yeah, this. he was literally built like a fire hydrant, and he looked red yeah. most of the time. Too. Yeah, yeah, he's very he's very intimidating for his size, but one of the one of the nicest guys. And you know, I always say because of him, he basically turned a nothing C.W. Anderson to the C.W. Anderson people got to see at ECW. Right. Him he and Ben Watley. He gave you the tools to be the mm -hmm. C.W. Yep. He yeah. took that raw clay and molded it into mm -hmm. what ECW got to see. So right. I've never I'm, – I'm always in Sarge's debt. You know, God rest Pez's soul. You know, those two were amazing, you know, amazing, amazing trainers. Now, now Pez, he was a um, – he was an older territory guy, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, he was amazing. <laughs> learning learning from Pez was something else. He was also one of the funniest people I've ever been around, too. Uh, you got any, like, uh, stories involving Pez or anything? Or Yes. So my very first road trip <laughs> with a power plant, we'd go to, we'd go to Kentucky. <laughs> and it's actually Elix Skipper's first match is against mm -hmm. me in Kentucky. So my Toad and I are driving, and Pez is in the back. And Pez has his headphones on. He's listening to James Brown. Mm -hmm. And all we, all we hear is baby, baby, baby. <laughs> James Brown. <laughs> That's all we hear. And he comes out. He's like, yeah, he's like, y'all know, y'all know I'm tearing it up, right? But y'all can't hear what I'm hearing. So I'm just tearing it up. He said, look, when you get a chance, let's stop and get some papers because he wanted to smoke a little bit. Mm -hmm. So that's the time that GHB was really popular. They called it scoop. So. Yeah. Toe, Toe was really he had a, he had some of that, and he took a, a little small cap full. I took a little small cap full, and um, Pez like, what, what, what are y'all drinking up there? And he's like, it's scoop, Pez. It's that GHB. He said, well, give me some. So he, he, he took. He's like, give me a whole cap now. He's like, I'm a, I'm a grown man. And I can drink a lot of it. So you know, one cap, it's like drinking twelve beers. So we give him a full oh. cap full, and um, <laughs> and he he went out. I mean, he was knocked out. So yeah. for like an hour and a hour and a half, he's back there snoring, <laughs> and uh, he just comes out out of his coma. And he wakes up. And he goes, ah, "Y'all getting the papers yet?" <laughs> 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 that was his first word. 
But man, I, God, he was so. He told a story one night. He was telling one of the territory stories. He said him and Boogie worked worked this thing where every night they would do the same spot. Mm-hmm. He would uh, Boogie would powder out, go up under the ring, come back on the other side. Pez would be looking all road, and he drunk mm-hmm. kicked Pez in the back of the head, and Pez would take a bump. He said. So, he said that night, uh, Boogie got hung up under the ring. He said in the timing, he knew something wasn't right, but he felt. A drop kick in the back of his head and he took the bump what it was somebody had threw a one of them big plastic cups and hit him in the back of the head <laughs> and he took a bump from that his boogie was still under the ring <laughs> oh, i bet that looked bad on camera yes so so he just took a dive off of a off a drink cup yeah he, he, he took a dive off a drink cup thinking it was boogie drop because boogie was so light when he drop kicked him he barely touched him after you know you left the power plant and everything how how did you get your start in ECW? Uh, Toad got a tryout, and we go down to Georgia one week, one Sunday. He has his little tryout, and I go with him just because Steve. I knew Steve Carino, and so I knew Steve had been there for like six months. So I went down with Toad, was, was hanging out with Steve in the back or by the ring. Nova was running the tryout, and when uh, Toad got done with his, Nova looked at me and asked me if I had my gear. Well, the night before, we had worked at Public Enemy, Public Enemy in South Carolina. So my gear was in the car. And I told him, yeah, it was, but it was in the car. So I ran and got it, got on, got, my, got in the ring, and I got in there with Simon Diamond. Uh, for about five minutes, I got okay. done. And Nova told me, he's like, man, you got some great timing, great footwork. And by that time, somebody hollers from out in the bleachers, Fonzie, get the ball guy back in the ring. So Bill Alfonso looks at me and says, Daddy, he wants you back in. I said, who? And it had to be Paul Heyman. Paul was sitting out there with Taz and the Dudleys. Oh, wow. And um, mm-hmm. I, got, I got back in the ring. They ran guys at me, you know, going tryout, doing different things. When the sh- uh, show got ready to start, the doors open. We got out of the ring. Go, I go in the back. And I'm in the bathroom, and I'm, you know, I'm spitting up blood from where I'd hit the turnbuckle so hard and was bumping so hard. Oh, wow. Uh, so I'm, cl- I'm cleaning myself up in the I, I still have the vision of that door opening, and it was Paul Heyman. He walks in the, right up to me, sticks his hand down, and says, hey, I'm Paul Heyman. It's nice to meet you. I said, hey, Paul, my name's Chris Wright. I said, it's a pleasure. He said, uh, where are you wrestling at, Chris? I said, um, I'm at the Power Planet WCW. He says, you on, under contract there? I said, no, sir. They told me I really didn't have what it takes to be there, you know, be a wrestler at WCW. He goes, well, what's your wrestling name? I said, C.W. Anderson. And he says, I knew it. He says, you look like Arn. You have the left punch, the spine buster. Yeah. He, does, he does this. And he says, don't leave before I speak to you at the end of the night. And I was like, yes, sir. And he told me I, could, I was welcome to hang out backstage. So I'm backstage. Wow. Um, and Jim Molino comes up to me and says, CW? I said, yes, sir. He said, Paul wants to see you in the dressing room. So Molino takes me back in the dressing room. I walk in. There's Paul. He's sitting with Vito LaGrasa, Skullbone Crush. And Danny Dorn and Roadkill, he introduces me to him. He says, you're tagging with Vito. Your third match. Welcome to ECW. Oh, wow. Damn. So, so that's how I got my job. Yep. So um, so just from your time in ECW, you know, what was your experience like with Paul Heyman? You know, how did you like working with him? I love working with Paul. Other than, you know, him making us drink that Kool-Aid of, why we're not getting paid and all this other crap him you know i was his flavor of the month so to speak he's the one that hired me he right. uh 
he was high on me. You know, he was giving me tasks to do, and I was, you know, hitting home runs with him. Uh, I thought he was, you know, I thought he was a genius with all the ideas because he came up with all that stuff, you know, all these ideas off the top of his head, the promos off the top of his head. And we were there, we'd be there like two or three o'clock in the morning cutting promos. Um, right. I, I, I loved working for Paul, you know, because that got me close with Tommy who was, you know, Paul's mm-hmm. right-hand man. Yeah. Because Tommy and I got rid of Tommy was in a, that trap. I was in Tommy's traveling clique with Tommy and Francine, and I rode with Jack Victory and Louis Dangerously, sign right. guy, Steve Carino and myself. So, uh, that I, 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 you know, other than Paul, sometimes, you know, the stuff not paying us and then lying to us at the end and not telling us that we were folding and stuff, I have no ill will towards Paul whatsoever. I can speak nothing about highly of him when it comes to that because – you know, he give me my job. He give me a chance. He give me that football to run with it. And uh, yeah. if it wasn't for him and Tommy, you know, I would have never done anything. So the only thing I'd ever ask from anybody is just tell the truth. You know, when we were closing, be man enough to tell us why we're closing and let us go and not just sit here and wonder what the hell's happening. So did he tell y'all anything at right. all? Or no, just leaving you on the dark. Nope, just left us in the dark at near the end. Near the end, he wasn't wow. even showing up. He'd show up for the pay-per-views and the TV, but rest of it, he wasn't showing up. Tommy was mm. doing it himself. And, you know, we had heard the rumors that he was out there afterwards that he was out. Because he kept telling us I'm out in California uh, trying to sign a deal with USA to get us back on TV. And it turned to come to find out he was supposedly out there filming the movie Rollerball. He wasn't out there trying to save us. Oh, wow. And then wow. he always said, I never took a dime from ECW. And, mm. you know, then comes to find out he's, he's <laughs> under damn Vince's wing with getting a paycheck every week, every week from Vince. That, that was, that was only my only gripe with him was just be man enough to tell us these things. And, you know, near the end, it was the rumors were coming around and coming true or coming that we were going to be closing, but I never thought that ECW would close. I thought, you know, this is ECW. You can't close. All right. What's up everybody. This is Marcus from big bang wrestling. Uh, you just saw the first part of our interview with CW Anderson ECW original hardcore icon. Uh, unfortunately, due to some technical difficulties that we were having this evening, we had to cut the interview short. So we will issue this interview out in parts. We'll do a part one and a part two. Yep. Part two will be available in about, about another two weeks. In about two weeks, we'll send out the second part of this interview. So mm-hmm. that way we got the full experience. No, talking about CW's uh, career. So, yeah, 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 he uh, he agreed to come back with us and record some more. So, uh, so yeah, we'll definitely have another more with CW out for y'all. But yeah, he's definitely you know a great one to talk to for any podcasters looking for any, you know anybody to talk to about the original ECW in those mm-hmm. days. He's definitely a great one to talk to. So I highly recommend him. Easily to work with. Easy to work with. Yeah, yeah, he's very candid, very open about everything. So definitely. But guys, thank you all for being patient with us. And like I said again, this the second part of this interview will be available in two weeks on YouTube and all other podcast streaming services. Yes, sir. All right, I'm Marcus and And I'm Nick. And we are out.